probably been staring up here at my hand chair and like, what in the world are we learning about today? It's a little crazy. Well, the story behind this hand chair is when Nat and I uh, got married, we bought our first house and um, we, we wrote into the offer because we had no money and no furniture. We were like, you can leave anything you want in the house, right? Well, they left us a hand chair <laughs> and a water bed. So, you know, maybe don't do that if you ever are buying a house. <laughs> but this has been in my office ever since, and it's quite the conversation piece. Um, but this morning, I felt like it really fit. Because this morning, we're going to talk about what you are entrusted with, right? What has God put into your hands that you are entrusted with? Um, have you ever been entrusted with something valuable, right? I had a cousin, and he was entrusted to watch the goldfish, right, for his friend. So he's supposed to watch the goldfish, and he was little, and the fish was eating good and swimming around, and he, he went to my aunt, and he said, but the fish isn't sleeping, right? I'm worried. She was explaining to him, fish don't, like, close their eyes and lay down on their side when they're sleeping, right? They sleep just in the water. Well, she had that conversation with him, and the next morning she went to the room to get him up, and on his pillow beside his head was the fish. Yes, he had taken him out so he could go to bed, and he was very dead. <laughs> so it was like a quick trip to the store to buy a fish that looked exactly like the fish to put in the bowl, right? But when you're entrusted with something, you want to do your best, right? Have you ever entrusted somebody else with your stuff, like... You know, if you have a teenager, your car keys, <laughs> you're like, oh, please come back, you know, in one, you in one piece and the car, right? Or I have, um, if you know me, I love my dog so very much. His name is Mowgli. He's a Wheaton Terrier. I actually brought a picture of him because he's my heart, right? In my house, it goes God, Mowgli, Matt, the kids. That's just how it's going to work, all right? And so when we go on vacation, we have um, an amazing young lady that comes and stays at my house. Um, she grew up in this church. She's Bridget's granddaughter. She's a nursing student at Kent State, and she house sits for us, and she watches our animals and stays there all week. And uh, so it's a big deal, right? We're entrusting her with our home, with our animals, um, with all of it, and she does a fantastic job. But a couple years ago, she, like, wrote us this whole note about how sorry she felt because the dog ate the remote control. And uh, she was like, I'm going to buy you a new one. I feel so bad. Now, we know our dog. And this guy, he is sneaky, and he loves remote controls. He just keeps eating them. Like, why? maybe we should just quit watching TV. Maybe that's what God's telling us. I don't know. But so she felt the weight of what she had been entrusted with, right? It was a remote control that was broken, not like my house burned down, right? It wasn't like one of my animals was hurt or killed. But she felt the weight of being entrusted with something so important. And so to her, it was a big deal that even a small part had went the wrong direction. And so she um, definitely knew what it was to be entrusted. And so today, we are going to be taking a look at uh, the parable, which is a story of familiar things that teaches a spiritual truth. That's what that word parable means, of the talents. And in some version, it, it doesn't even say that anymore about the talents. It actually says the parable of the three servants. Um, and if you hear the word talent in our language, that's like a gift or an ability to do something, right? But in biblical times, the talent was money. It was um, a portion of money. So we are going to talk about the story 
of money. Basically, that's what it's saying in big words. This story is told twice in the Bible. The first time is in Luke 19. And in this, when he's telling it in Luke 19, he's telling it to a huge crowd of people. The second time that he tells it, which is where we're going to focus, is in Matthew chapter 25. And this is where he's talking to just his disciples. He's pulled them in. He's beginning in this part of scripture to teach them things so they're prepared when he leaves. He knows his time on earth is limited. He knows that he only has a certain amount of time one-on-one with them. And so he begins to teach them things so that they will be prepared when he goes. And this is one of those things. Now, obviously, if Jesus told it twice, even though there were some differences because of the audiences that he was sharing to, it was important, right? If I tell my kids something twice, it's because they need to listen, (laughs) right? We don't say things twice unless they're important. So we're going to start here in Matthew 25, verse 14, and I'm going to kind of talk you through this as we jump into this story. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He's entrusting them with his wealth, right? He has the intent of coming back. You continue with verse 15. It says he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then left on his trip. I want to pause right there a second because if you look at um, this says bags of silver or it might say bags of gold in your version or it might say talents, whatever it says, when you look at it back in the Greek, it doesn't specify which type of money. It just means a lot of money. That's what it means. And according to uh, Nave's Topical Bible, it says that the, the one that's going to get five bags is actually would have been considered a multimillionaire in our terms. Like he was just handed millions of dollars, right? This wasn't like five bucks, all right? This was a lot of money. Some calculate that uh, one talent in the parable would have been worth 20 years of wages for a common worker. So, like, to be handed that, I'd be like, you just keep it, (laughs) right? Like, I don't want that responsibility. He also knew his servants. He knew that they were different, that they had strengths, that they had weaknesses, what one would be better with, right? You don't want me as your quarterback on your football team, right? I'm little and I can't throw straight to save my life. That would be a bad choice. But I might be good on your administrative team in the office, right? You look at strengths and weaknesses and you, God gives out based on that. And so did this master. So we're going to keep going in verse 16. It says the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. Now, like, I visually imagine this. He's called them like they're probably in a lineup, right? And, like, the first two, like, have their big bags full of, like, all their little bags, and they're like ready right they knew like the one with the five the one with the two and then this guy's like brushing the dirt (laughs) off of his bag like cleaning it off he's probably poofing it out now because he sees what they did he's probably trying to make it look oh like oh it's heavy yeah it's heavy right he's trying i'm sure he's feeling some of the weight of what is going on here at this point he's recognizing he might have made a bad choice 
In verse 20, it says, The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Pause there for one second. Small amount of money? I was like, what? Multi-millions? That's apparently small amount to this master, which shows you the amount of wealth that he came from, that what he was giving them was considered small, right? God didn't have to put that in the story, but he did. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, now when you first read that, I was like, harsh, holy cow, right? <laughs> like, okay, I understand giving it to the other guy that doubled his money. That's just smart business, right? This guy's doing it. Let's get, keep giving him the stuff. But then you take the poor guy that didn't do it, and you're throwing him into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Your first reaction to that is like, whoa. Like, you're kind of mean, right? But what you got to remember is this is a story that's explaining a spiritual truth, right? And the servant, he wasn't removed because of his work ethic. He wasn't removed because of that. It was because he didn't know his master. He didn't trust him. He didn't truly want to do what he was asking him. He didn't truly want him to be Lord. He chose what he wanted to do, what he thought was best, over what his master would have wanted him to do. It was a heart issue, right? It wasn't about his work ethic. And this parable was written to the, the disciples and to us believers for while Jesus is gone, we have been entrusted with a lot. We've been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus to take that to others, with money, with relationships, with gifts and abilities. Those things I think we think about naturally when we talk about what we've been entrusted with. But the two things that I want to talk about today are two things that maybe we don't really think about being entrusted with. And that is time and experiences. Those are the two things that we're going to focus in on today. I know you're all like, oh, she's not talking about money. Thank goodness, right? Well, me too, because I don't like to talk about that from up here. <laughs> but time and experiences are so valuable, and we have all been entrusted with them. 
We don't um, always recognize that they're something, but they're not ours. If everything we have as a follower of Christ belongs to God, those fall in that category. We're going to talk about time first, right? So time is limited, right? In the flesh, we all have a beginning here and we all have an end. Yes, we're eternal beings. We will have a place after this. But here on earth, we have a beginning and we have an end. The only two people that have, you know, gotten out of that is Elijah and Enoch. Even Jesus died. He just came back, right? (laughs) He didn't stay dead. So all of us have this limited amount of time. And when you're a follower of Jesus, your time is not your own. So there's a purpose that you were all entrusted with it. There's a purpose that you have time. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 17, it says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. In that video earlier, it was talking about God's will, and sometimes we make that complicated. Sometimes we don't know what we're supposed to do. Are we living the way God wants us to? Are we really living in God's will? And he made it very clear, and I liked the way that he put it. God has put things in your heart and in your life, and that's what he wants you to do. You don't have to create this whole other, I need to be a missionary in South Africa to be able to be doing God's will. No. God's put in your heart that you like to bless your neighbor. That's doing God's will. You know, God's put someone in your life at work that you get to talk to at lunch. That's doing God's will. Do something with what you've been entrusted, right? If you take um, the word every opportunity in that Ephesians verse in the Greek, it translates to redeem your season or your allotted portion. Redeem your season and your allotted portion. We do, by nature, all of us, what's important to us, right? So when we get home today, Mac will be watching the football game. That's important to him, right? He's not turning on HGTV or a cooking show. He's going to turn on the football game. Even, well, I'm going to just hope they win today, okay? We'll just leave it at that. But it's important to him. We do what's important to us. So if you are going throughout your week and you're not praying, It's not important to you. We say things are important, right? We know things are important. But are they truly important to us? If we go the entire week without finding a way to show love to a non-believer, is it truly important to us? It's not. So we have to begin, all of us, to look and to prioritize our time that we've been entrusted with. Now, I know some of you are like, listen, I have no time, right? Seriously, Pastor Melissa, there is no time. Like, I get up, I do all the things, I go to bed, and that's very little. Like, there's no time. But I just want to challenge you, if that's you, document for a week, whether on paper or on your phone, what you're actually doing with your time. I guarantee you, when you do that, you will find time that you are using on things that maybe isn't as valuable as something else you could be spending it on. It may not be a lot. Some of us have jobs that are very demanding. We have people in our lives that need us. I totally understand that. But there is always time, right? So I brought this object lesson, and you may have seen this before, but I just love visuals because just like Jesus did with parables, they help the story stick, right? It helps it stick, stay in your head, excuse me. So you may have seen this, but it it bears repeating. 
So these rocks here are like the priorities that we know need to be number one. Spending time with God, spending time with our family, resting well, right? There's important things that should be part of our everyday life. Well, when we fill our lives with, um, I'll see if I can hold this up. Well, you can probably see it okay. But when we fill our lives with, with all these other little things first, these don't fit, right? They, when you try to put them in afterwards, it doesn't fit in the container. When we take them and we begin to put them in first, see if I can do this. Then there's room, right? There's room to move around. My fingers will work. So when we take the other things, don't want to miss anything, right? It begins to fill up. And then we add the other. is a lot of sand. I'm actually impressed it's all fitting. Look at that. This is the same amount of stuff. Do you see what happens when you put the first things first? Everything else fits in, right? Or maybe even a few things do fall off that really didn't need to be there in the first place. But when you make sure that praying with God, spending time with God, Spending time investing in your family or your friends or your spouse, resting well, taking care of yourself. When those things are put first, all the other things that we busy ourselves with, they'll figure out a way to fit in. God will help you get them where they need to be. I have this chart. This is um, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, there we go. And uh, it is what... The average American worker in the, on a weekday in 2021, this was their average, right? Now, some of these I was like, nope, and it might be hard for you to see. I'll read them to you real quick. The first one is sleeping, 8.35 hours. I was like, who's that? I don't get that much sleep. <laughs> like, who, what average are they taking? But this is what they said the average was in America. Um, Working 6.69 hours. Again, I was like, who's that? Like, I want to work only six hours a day. But that's, that's what the averages are. Now, here's other three hours. Other. I'm not sure what that means. Relaxing and leisure, 2.73 hours. Household activities, uh, 1.32. Grocery shopping, all the things that you do in your house. Eating and drinking, uh, 1.08 hours. Travel related to work, 0.43. Socializing and communicating, 0.38. Like that's another whole topic on its own, right? That we only socialize and communicate 0.38 of our entire day. That's why we maybe have a problem with getting to know each other, right? But if we just take the other and the relaxing and the leisure, that's 5.73 hours in a day of things that could probably be moved a little, right? We need our sleep. We need to work. We need to do stuff around the house. We need to do. We need to eat. We do need to eat, even though some people would say <laughs> they can get by without it. No, please eat. Um, there's a little bit of wiggle room in there, 
But when you don't really look at it, you fill your day with like, oh, I need a little break here. And I'm just going to like play this game on my phone or I'm going to read my paper or do my crossword. You know, like you're doing some of the things which is good. But how many times are you doing that, right? How many times are you maybe just doing something a little longer than you need to do it? Or those are things that you look at in your life. How, how do you feel when, uh, when somebody wastes your time, right? You're in the checkout line and the light starts blinking. They didn't look if there was a tag on it. And you're like, <gasps> you're like looking around. Is there another line I can go to, right? You're trying to find it right? Your time is being wasted, right? You feel your time is valuable. Or maybe you're at work and what you need to work on, you have to wait for this person to complete. And they're like, I'm going on a break. And you're like, are you kidding me right now? Like, <laughs> I'm waiting for you to get done, right? You don't like when your time is being wasted. Well, God has entrusted each of you with time. That does not mean you need to go 24-7. God's biblically commanded um, that we rest in scripture, but it does mean that we need to evaluate and prioritize what we are doing with the time we have. We're entrusted with it, and we're going to be held accountable for what we do with it. Probably volunteering at 10 charity events during the week is not wise, which kind of confuses our brain sometimes. But if I'm doing and I'm serving and I'm loving, okay, but your family needs investment, your friends you need to spend time with Jesus, right? You need to be wise with how you're spreading that out. I remember one time I made a comment to my sister. So my sister's um, a therapist, right? So you just don't make comments to her, right? She's going to, like, analyze you. Well, I was like, I do not have time to work out. And she was like, you have time, but you've chosen to put something else in its place. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> right? Like, right back at me. And she's right, and I do work out now, and I love it because it's important to keep us healthy. Um, in Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What we do here impacts eternity, right? Our little moment here will be forever later. And if we look at our time as numbered, it helps us to prioritize differently. What am I going to do with the time I've been given today? Because I don't know if I'm going to have tomorrow. What am I going to do that's important? How am I going to prioritize it, right? And sometimes when day goes to day goes to day goes to day, it, it, we lose that sense of urgency. And I just want to challenge you to keep it fresh. Just find a way to remind yourself to be wise, to realize that your days are numbered. We're, we're going to look at the second thing now, right? We're going to look at experiences. And uh, maybe this is not something that you've ever thought about that you've been entrusted with. Um, good or bad, maybe they've come from a decision you've made. Maybe, like, from somebody else, like, where you grew up, where that was your parents or whoever you were with's decision. That wasn't your decision. Or simply, it just happened beyond anyone's control and experience that you've had. Um, how are you allowing these to shape you? So I have my cup here with me today, right? And I'm going to pour some hot water in this cup just to represent um, some of the experiences that we go through, right? The water can be the experiences. So I'm going to pour this in here. I'm just going to let it sit for a few minutes while we keep talking. 
I didn't bring it so I could have hot tea. Although that sounds very nice right now. Um, in the Bible, there's a lot of biblical examples about how experiences have shaped people into who they are. The first one, which I'm sure comes to your mind when you think about this, is Joseph. He was the favorite kid, right, in his family, but a rough life with his brothers uh, to the point where they beat him. They sold him. Then he rises to the top, Potiphar's house. He's up in charge of everything. Then he gets lied about and thrown in prison, right? And then he rises up to the top into the second in command, right? And in Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. His experiences played into that. Moses was placed in the palace as a baby and then literally lost everything out to the wilderness with dirty sheep, right? That's where he spent 40 years until he was able to be the deliverer. Ruth met her husband, was part of a family. Then she lost her father-in-law. She lost her brother-in-law. She lost her husband. She lost that family. So if you can see my cup, it actually changed into uh, a smiley face, which sometimes we don't have through experiences, right? But what it shows is when something comes into our life, when something happens, good, bad, or ugly, do we let it shape us? Do we let it begin to change us in a way that God would want us to? Because Joseph would not have been placed in the palace if it wasn't for his dysfunctional family. Listen to that. He would not have been in the palace if he didn't have a dysfunctional family. Sometimes we're like, well, you can't use us, God. You don't know where I come from, what I'm about. Yes, he can. And he's going to use it because of that. He's going to use that for good. Moses would not have been the deliverer without losing everything. He lost it all. Ruth would not have been part of the lineage of Jesus if she hadn't become a widow. Those are hard things to hear, but that is the truth of who God is. Nothing is wasted with God. Nothing. Your experiences that you're going through are not punishment and they're definitely not what God wants for you but he's going to take what you go through and he's going to make it into something great because you're valuable and you're important we allow our experiences to become to make us into who God wants us to become he will begin weaving together all of the things to bring glory to him we have been entrusted right and we have to trust the master that he's going to use the good, the bad, and the ugly, to make something, right? Because it's hard when you're in the middle of it. Thomas Edison, for a non-biblical example, um, his dad was a lighthouse keeper, which is ironic because of all the things that he did with light. I'm sure that played into his experience. But he was also partially deaf. And so in school, because he couldn't really hear, he was labeled as a misfit. He was bored because he couldn't hear what was going on, and it actually made him become an avid reader because he could read without having to hear. And so he ended up quitting school and going to work on the railroad, and in doing that, he had the opportunity to um, start working with the uh, telegraphy, and he began to work with that. The dots and the dashes don't require you to hear, right? So that was really cool for him. But then it began to become 
more of an auditory art, right? It began to change over. And he could have been like, forget it. Now I can't even do this, right? No. He began to devote his energy towards ways to improve and invent devices to facilitate doing things with his physical limitations. He began to create ways, and it began to make him the inventor. And he went on to invent more and more and more things, as we know. He became who he was because of his partial deafness. God uses our experiences. In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This does not say that he works in all good things, right? It says in all things. In all things for those who truly love him. I've been saying it, but he takes the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he weaves it together to be a beautiful story that extends generations and truly extends into eternity. What you are doing here now matters, right? It matters. The master in our story, he saw each servant differently in that parable that we read earlier. We are all equal, but we're all created differently. Do you understand that? We're all equal in God's eyes, but that doesn't mean we don't have differences, right? We don't, you know, Larry back there, he can like fix lots of things and he can solder and he can build and I cannot, <laughs> right? You don't want me coming to do a pro home project at your house, right? You don't want me to do that. We're created differently. We all have different experiences, right? Things I've experienced, you never have. Things you've experienced, I never have. We all have different ways that we use our time. But what's all the same is that we have all been entrusted. We've all had something placed in our hands, right? We've all been given time. We've all been given experiences. The Bible, it doesn't say what really happens. He doesn't share the part of the story um, from the time that the master left till he comes back. All we know is that he was gone a really long time and that they went to work investing the money for the first two servants. Um, but I am sure, because it says it was a long time, that um, they probably had ups and downs. They probably lost money and gained money back. They probably got sick. They probably had circumstances with their families that happened. They probably had things that didn't go right, right? But they continued to move forward because they knew their master. And um, that's what God wants us to do, right? He wants us to know our master. I'm going to go ahead and ask if the worship team could come on back up here as I go through this last part with you. And uh, he knew, they knew what he wanted them to do, right? They knew what to do, and they did it. They recognized what had been given to them, and they did something with it. The third servant, he operated out of fear, not relationship. His view of the master affected what he did with what he was given. And I want you to hear that. Your view of who God is will affect what you do with what you've been entrusted with. If you don't see him as a loving God working things together for you, 
you're not going to do anything that he wants with what you've been given, your time, your experiences, your money, your relationships, the gospel. So the first thing that we need to look at is our view of who God is. The first thing that we need to adjust is to make sure that just like those first two servants, we're seeing our master for who he is. That third servant saw him as harsh, saw him as somebody who um, did things that he didn't approve of. And so therefore, he didn't want to do what the master had asked him to do. You guys can start going now. Maybe our experiences are painful and hard, right? Maybe they're not great. Maybe they make us feel less than qualified in a lot of things. Maybe we really don't want to give up some of the things that we do in order to make room for God. Maybe we just don't even see how it's really possible. But maybe, maybe we're digging a hole with what we've been entrusted with. And this morning, I just want to challenge you to check if that's you, right? What part of the things that you've been given are you saying, I can't, it's too hard, it stretches me too much, I don't think I am valuable enough, I don't have the words to do it, and you're digging the hole. The definition of entrust is to commit to another with confidence. God has confidence in you. He would not have given you these things if you were not who he wanted, right? And like I said, those circumstances, those experiences, he didn't put those on you, but he's going to walk you through it and bring them out to something good, right? He is coming back. He is going to have, you have to give an account for your time, for your experiences, for your words, for how you lived your life. But you know what God's end game is? It's not that he wants to throw you into the outer darkness with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is not what he wants. His end game is to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'm going to give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. That is his end game. He wants you to have life abundant with him. This morning, can you just stand with me? I want you to think about what has God placed in your hands? What has God placed in your heart? What are you doing with what you have been entrusted with? Jesus told this story because it was important. He doesn't want us to end up being that servant that's wiping the dirt off of that bag because you get to the end and you realize I made the wrong choice. Choose to do something today with what you're given. Because when you choose to do something with what you're given, that's God's will. It's as simple as that. You can go ahead and close your eyes with me. This morning, if you're in this place, and you've never, never made that step to choose God as the master, the Lord over your life, this morning you're realizing that there is more to this world than just what I want. God has a purpose for me. God has something for me. I'm part of a bigger plan. If that's you this morning, 
and you, you are deciding that he is Lord, that he died on that cross, that you are forgiven through his blood, if you want to raise your hand this morning, we want to pray with you. If there's anyone here this morning that would say, yes, that is me. I want Jesus as my Lord. I see that hand. This morning, we're just, we're going to pray a prayer. And, and church, I'm going to ask you to just repeat it with me as we pray. And if you raised your hand, this is a prayer that's very personal to you. Words don't change things, but your heart does. So this morning, I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on that cross. For your blood that washes away every bad thing, every sin in my life. I choose today to no longer live for myself. I choose today to live for you. Give me strength. Give me courage to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now go ahead and close your eyes one more time. Don't fall asleep on me. <laughs> because this morning, we are super excited to have somebody join into God's kingdom, but there's also a lot of us here that are in God's kingdom that are one of those servants that's been digging a hole. And this morning, I just, I just want you to, with your eyes closed, just if you can, hold your hands out in front of you. If you need to hold on to something so you don't fall, that's fine. But hold your hands out. And I want you to think about what God has put in your hands. What experiences, what time, what relationships, what things has he given you specifically? And how are you doing with those? What are you doing with those? If as you're sitting there, standing there, holding your hands out, you're realizing, man, I could be doing so much more. If that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to come up front and spend some time with God. Make it a priority this morning to get things right. To say, God, I love you with all of my heart, but I've been screwing this up. I need to do more. So I'm going to pray over you, and then these altars are going to be open. If you asked God into your heart, I just encourage you to come up here to be blessed by our, our prayer team that would love to meet with you. And if it's you that needs to be getting things right with what you've entrusted, come forward this morning. God, right now, we just lift you up. You love us so much. You're the God of multiple chances. And even when we mess up, you're there right with us. You love us so much. This morning, God, you've entrusted us with time, with experiences. But we fall, we've fallen a little short. Give us courage to make it right. Give us courage to prioritize and follow after you and trust that you are going to make something good out of the bad and the ugly. God, I pray your blessing on these people in this room. They are not here by accident. 
You have chosen them, you have called them, and you have confidence in them with what you've given them. I pray that they go out of here blessed and encouraged and full of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open. Please know that you can come. You can pray. You can just take time with Jesus. You can do it at your seat. Um, but if you, if you are done for the moment, you can quietly make your way out. We are super glad that you came today. Thank you. stories of love when they think you're light but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead 